what makes the classroom an unsafe environment and what to do about it. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. And we are both licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 11 of the Polyvagal Podcast. All right, a couple of announcements. Um, I really recommend that people listen to the previous uh, nine episodes. I think the whole initial like first series is really important all the way up to... Oh, was the last one I did? Oh, my God, I just did it. It was... Uh, generational <laughs> trauma. Generational trauma, my God. But at <laughs> least the first, I think at least up until um, the shutdown state, at least up until... Actually, no, all the way... No, the whole, just do all nine. Just do all nine. Do all nine. Before... I, go I was a, I listened to them. I listened to your first nine before I was a participant in the podcast, and they are really the foundation and just really important information to be able to understand the rest of what we talk about in the future. There you go. So that's going to play into this one. Uh, please listen to those. And then, um, oh, please, teachers, other school staff, staff, if you're listening, we would love to hear from you. Uh, send us an email, DM, whatever you like. The the results are in from our previous podcast. People are liking me more, Mercedes. <laughs> what does that mean? We haven't we haven't uploaded the one with me yet, so how could that possibly happen? <laughs> You're right, you caught me. You're right. <laughs> you caught me. All right. It's okay. Let's do a quick polyvagal breakdown. What we're going to talk about this time is what sends us personally into flight mode. I have a very clear one that I can pull from, sadly, at will. So mine is my children's um, gymnastics, gymnasium experience. I hate it. Yes. I love watching them. You mentioned it before to me. I know. My my daughter does karate. My son does um, gymnastics and superhero practice. And we go there a couple times a week, and I absolutely dread it. And when we're there, I am well into flight mode, and I can't wait to get out of there. There's a number of things going on, but I'll tell you the three biggest ones for me, which are number one, no, in no particular order. Number one is proximity. And the issue here is there's not enough seating, which gives me a lot of stress. Like, am I going to get a chair or not? That's one thing. But if you do sit down, there's there's very little room, and I'm a fairly large person. I, I have a big wingspan, as you see me plucking I see, away I see here. You. Yes. Big wingspan, and um, I like to stretch my legs out, and I don't get to do that. So I'm very boxed in, and that is, I want to run. I, I, want, I, I don't do well in that kind of environment. Um, and then the second thing for me is the sound. So in this place... There is a ton of sound, not just children having a good time, which is fine. It's, you know, babies crying, uh, the person next to me on their cell phone talking about who said what, who said what, who did whatever. Um, There's music blaring. And there's not just one type of music. There's like two different types of music from two different sections that are like blaring over each other, along with the sounds of the children, the babies crying, the person next to me complaining about what happened on Facebook. All of this sound I have a really hard time with. And combining that with the proximity issues, I don't do very well with that. 
And then also, the other thing, if, if you do get a, if you get a spot to sit down, there's always people, there's always people crossing. There's like a ton of traffic walking in front of me, walking this way and that, and it drives me insane. Uh, and the last thing is the place is disgusting. It, there's like, <laughs> I just, there's germs everywhere and um, everything's filthy. It can never be clean enough. You know Does what I mean? Does it um, I don't know. I, I haven't. You know how those places, like, you know, the kid places, yes. they always smell like kid feet? Like, just it probably, kids feet? I know that if I sit close enough to the shoes, <laughs> yes, there is a smell there. And they have these bins where all the shoes go to collect all the smell in one yes. place. Right, right, right. To, collect to consolidate all, it. <laughs> to consolidate the smell, exactly, yeah. So it's all in one spot. And if you sit there, that's the worst spot. But it does give you the most leg room, oddly. So, so it's really a conundrum for me, really, so, at that point. Right. Those, so it's it's just, it's filthy. And mm-hmm. the, the sound, is, is at least they're not playing country music. At that point, true, because I would drop way down the ladder. I feel like <laughs> probably to the yeah. point of death. At that point, I'd just be dead. <laughs> dead. And then that, the proximity issues are, are a big, big, big thing for me. Okay, um, I I don't know if I should be surprised or not surprised. Mine is actually really similar to yours. Um, I put mine down as the mall on a weekend because when you go like on a Monday, maybe a Tuesday, it's not too bad. But the mall on a weekend is my own personal hell because. Very similar to yours. There's too much noise. There's all this stuff going on, just like music coming from every single place, like every single store that you walk by. And it's just like blaring. Like I can't hear the person next to me talking because it's like, you know, this place has their own. And and sometimes it's country music, depending on the store. Yes. And, you know, it's like country music here and rock music (laughs) there. And then whatever, like, you know, just nonstop noise and plus the people talking it's too much i can't handle it it's too much do you notice that you can't you said you can't hear the person you're with is it because Mm -hmm. the noise is too loud or because your ears can't tune because you're down the ladder and now you're no longer tuned you know what i mean i you know i I was originally going to say both but probably because i'm down the ladder because i noticed like i already kind of have issues like, um, what's the word? Um, filtering out like extraneous noises. Like, you know, how our ears are just supposed to do that. Yeah. And I have a really hard time focusing on the thing that I'm trying to listen to when there's other like extra noise going on. Mm-hmm. But when I'm, when I'm in the mall on a weekend, I just want to get out. And so that, that probably has a lot to do with it is that I hear all this other stuff that just is driving me nuts and I can't focus on, you know, my husband's voice or my kids talking to me or whatever thing. Thing number two about the mall on a weekend, same as you, too many people. There's all these people everywhere. Just go away. Like, why, so, <laughs> why does everybody have to be there? And I guess that's a dumb question because, okay, it's the weekend. That's when we take care of our, you know, errands and whatever thing. But like, they're all, everyone is there. <laughs> everyone is there. And I can't like. <laughs> they're all there. I don't know. They're, everybody's there and everyone and their mom and they're all right in front of me. And I have this thing where like, I don't know if I take big steps or I don't know what it is, but when I'm walking, I just, I want to walk at my pace and I don't want to like, I don't want to have to go around you or whatever. And these people walk right in front of me. There's no way out and I have I to slow down and all I want to do is get out and I can't, and I just feel so stuck, you I'm know? With you. Yeah. 
So totally I'm, like I'm already getting like like anxious <laughs> just from thinking about it. Um, and then I didn't I didn't know if this was the same. I counted it as a different point, but the third the third point that I made about this is the proximity of the people. Okay. Like there, you know, sometimes there's I'm in a place and there's a lot of people and I can kind of have my own kind of personal space. But when you're in, say, the first one that comes to mind is like Victoria's Secret. I don't know if you've been into a Victoria's Secret. I try and avoid that place as much as I can because the shelves are about 20 inches apart and like all the clothes racks, I, that's, <laughs> that's, that's an estimate, by the way. Um, okay. But you know, the clothes racks and everything, like everything is just really close in the store. And so when, when it's packed and then everything is like arranged in such a way that you're just like packed in there like sardines, it's so uncomfortable. Just, you know, you're walking, trying to, you know, get to where you're going and people's elbows are in your ribs and, you know, someone just swished their hair into your face and, you know, you're reaching into someone else's purse when you're trying to reach into your own purse. Like, <laughs> Sounds horrible. It's bad. That's, <laughs> that hasn't exactly happened to me. But um, yeah, so the proximity of it, I just, ugh, and then people are terrible with their manners. Please say excuse me, like open a door for a person, <laughs> just, or go away. <laughs> when go I'm away, in the yeah. mall, don't be in the mall. So that's, so, so that's it for me, being in the mall on a weekend. Totally. I can't I, handle it. I noticed when I'm at the that gymnasium that um, I always try to, I bring a book to read, but I can never read it. Because I'm always stuck on the same paragraph over and over. Like I, my executive functioning is not there, and I can't focus. And when I when I am reading, I don't understand what I'm reading, so I have to keep doing it over and over again. The only time that I was able to read for some reason was that book you let me borrow about dissociative identity disorder. Oh. I forget what it's called. It's behind me. Um, it's called switching time. Switching time. There you go. Yeah, that was the only time I was actually able to focus, and it was horrible, traumatic stuff. And I yes. know, I know, my face just went wider than usual because I'm usually a pretty pale guy, anyways. <laughs> but my face was just probably completely affectless, and uh, that was the only time I was able to focus on reading a book, and it sent me further down the ladder. That's. I was just gonna say, I wonder why that was. Could it be? I don't know. Because like it, it put you in an even lower state. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> than just the gymnasium. No <laughs> idea. Be. Last time we talked about the path of transition, and this time we are talking about uh, cues of danger in the classroom. Classroom danger cues. Let's talk about why this is important real quick. This is for teachers, so not, it's actually for, I think for anybody, I think this is important for parents to be aware of because when they pick their kids up, to know that their kids have been really kind of drenched in all these danger cues, and that's what they're, you know, that's what they're picking up, is a kid full of danger cues. <laughs> But for te you know teachers and school staff, not to, I I want them to be to be aware of it, but also to start thinking creatively about how to work around it. Um, teachers, I think, are very creative people, and I want to encourage them to tap into that, and also to gain some empathy for their students, because we know as the year goes on, those faces get um, less and and less affect in them. They start going more and more flat. Those voices start going more and more monotone. The, the fact that children are being evaluated is a danger cue in and of itself. Do you have that one? I don't have that one specifically. Awesome. I'm nodding because I've I, we've talked about it before. You've mentioned it before to me. Yeah. 
just and you're right i agree just the fact that you're being evaluated is Mm -hmm. a danger cue Um, and in school they're in like there's a constant state of evaluation you think about there's the clipping system where they have like the clips or whatever you call paper clips the the, uh, clothespins yeah there you go right clothespins yeah clothespin clips that they can move those up and down this like chart based on behavior and if they get to a certain one it's a call home i think right i think it depends on the teacher in the classroom but yeah so they're constantly being evaluated and if their behavior is not where it's supposed to be they're being really publicly kind of shamed in a way um Mm -hmm. it's it's not the hugest deal but it's a buildup of evaluation and not all kids can tolerate that. That's the idea here. So there's the clip system, the uh, and then there's a, like a color system, which is very similar, uh, based on your behavior that you, you know, hit certain di- different colors. I think I'm assuming red is the worst, typically. Usually, yeah. Uh, grading, just the fact that you're being graded is you're being evaluated. Um, there's you know daily behavioral charting. All of these things are evaluations. There's um, a couple examples I want to share just because it's, I don't think that we may not be aware of these evaluations, but there's two I want to share here. The first one is um, there was a principal for a small school who invited me in to come check out his new school. It was hadn't even opened up yet. He's very excited about it, and he, he wanted to pull me in and uh, show, show me, right? So I walked in there, and he, and he lo- was looking really good, and he pointed out that there's a loft area where teachers can go to for like a little um, break time but and it's a loft so they'll be able to oversee the children and, and keep an eye on them and he said you know if we have people come into this room we, you know that are like uh, supervisors or you know higher ups or whoever that they'll be able to come up here and check out what we're doing all the good stuff that we're doing right and that's like that's cool it makes sense but you have to be aware that if you have a stranger who's perched atop the class looking down and evaluating that that is a big cue of danger. And for most kids, they might be able to handle that, but not all of them. For, so for kids that are more down the ladder already, the fact that someone's monitoring them and evaluating them uh, from up high is, is a big danger cue. But it doesn't even have to be up high. It can be down low. If there's a stranger or a new person in the classroom that's evaluating or even being perceived as evaluating, that's, that's going to be a danger cue. So what I recommended to him was if you have people come in the classroom, actually have them come into the classroom, like sit down with the kids. If there's circle time, get on the floor with them and really experience mm-hmm. what the class is like. That's going to be a safe way to approach the situation rather than being a pie or behind the kids, um, rather than being a distant part of like this observation to be actually in the class. Absolutely. The other one would be um, there was a group um, social skills kind of training going on and the kids in the, in the group were having were pretty anxious, uh, more down the ladder. So it was pretty frustrating for the uh, facilitator who asked me to come in and give it a look, see and see what I see. Right. And what I saw was now, now I was the one evaluating. I was the one kind of off, but I didn't realize it back then. But anyhow, so what I saw was kids in this circle, which is fine or a square listening to the person presenting, but Behind the kids were the the teacher's assists mm-hmm. sitting behind the kids. And they were evaluating. They had a clipboard. And they would, if the kids were veering off or something like that, they would give a warning. But basically, they were looking for, like, bad behavior. 
Mm-hmm. And they were like monitoring. There was no praise. There was no positivity going on. So they were sitting behind the kids and looking for problems, really. So what I recommended was like get them into the circle or into the square, have them be a part of it. And that seemed to help out a little bit. So, but you think about like if we go to a staff meeting, I wouldn't want someone behind me evaluating mm-hmm. me. I wouldn't want yeah. someone behind me with a note with a clipboard um, taking notes and pointing out things that they thought I was doing wrong. Mm-hmm. That would that would make me extremely anxious. That would, I wouldn't want to be there. So the the solution here, I think, is instead of the cliff system, um, instead of these constant evaluations and and sort of exposing kids for um, not making correct choices or whatever, like they know it, they already know it. You know what I mean? But yeah, I think I, I think self monitoring uh, tools would be more appropriate in a first grade grade classroom. A teacher and I were talking about that, and um, she made the decision to take away, to alter her clip system, her clip chart. And instead she took out, um, I forgot what it, I forgot what it said, but it was like, you know, um, I have to call your parent or it was basically like you're getting closer to being kicked out of the classroom or something like that. I don't know what it was, mm-hmm. but she decided to take away all the negative ones and instead put, I need time alone or I need water or I need, I need this or I need that. So it was a way for, and she kept the positive ones, which I was okay with. But it was a way for the kid to clip, to take, to remove their clip and put it where they want, where they want it. That's you know? awesome. Um, yeah. And she also has this system, very similar, where it's on the on the uh, the whiteboard. When kids come in for the day, that they can take their little magnet name and put it in one of like four or five columns, and one of the columns is like I'm feeling awesome and I'm feeling ready to learn and I'm whatever. And one of the columns is I need some time to myself. And one of the columns is I'm not sure where I'm at. And then every morning they come in, they do a circle sort of check-in on the carpet. And they and she, she points out, hey, who wants to share where they're at today? And it gives the kids chances to get support, actually, and, and just sort of check in. And someone else can say, hey, I feel the same way, which is really kind of cool. And it's, so it's self-monitoring, and it's done in a pretty darn safe way, which is a lot different, I think, than this more punitive minded you're acting wrong kind of thing mm-hmm. um, so self-monitoring the oh then being able to check in with the teacher and let them know where, where you're at like i'm not ready to learn i need some time to myself i need this i need that um i think it's a lot more efficient and a lot uh, it's just it's safer i think it's safer than the whole constant teacher evaluation thing agreed all right i have one for teachers but um i went a little bit i went a, a different direction than you did kind cool. of um, uh, I kind of wrote about just the teacher's presence and just kind of all of, just all of the presentation of the teacher. So things like voice tone, the volume of the voice, um, giving those safety cues or not like the, you know, the eye crinkles and the uh, prosody and all of that. Also things like um, the teacher's movement in the room. Um, there's something strange about a teacher that stays in one place. Hmm. Um, but there's also, some, you know, it, it's one of those pendulum things. Like you don't want to be too far on either end because then if the teacher's kind of like, running laps around the room that's that's also i i think it it would be a danger cue because it's like where where is she at what is she doing what where is she coming from she or he um and then also the teacher's use of touch so again one of those things that i feel is on a on a range where you don't want to be too far over to one side or too far over on the other side but um i think each each of these things has a lot more impact than people might realize totally big because again, if we're you know we're looking at danger cues and we're looking at uh, you know nonverbal signals, I think kids 
aren't aware of what they're picking up on, but they're picking up on those things. So when a teacher's voice is too loud or when a teacher's tone is too stern, um, you know, et cetera, just things like that. So just being really, for the teacher, being really aware of of their own stuff, of, of how their own self is doing that day when they wake up in the morning, and then just being aware of, you know, providing safe cues to the kids across all of these um, categories, the voice tone, the volume, the movement in the room, the use of touch. I, th- I also think, though, let's, let's um, add to that. I think mm-hmm. the teachers can be more on the aggressive side, like on the more on the stern side, as long as the kids know that they're cared about and that the teachers yeah. ex- teachers expect the best out of them. Like I've plenty of teachers we probably interacted with or that we had when we were kids that were more stern, but we knew that they cared about us and they wanted the best for us and we could tolerate that. So it was like the safe, yeah. it was like a safe sort of expectations sort of thing. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because you're right. I, I think, um, and I don't know, maybe it's something about the way I say it, but sometimes I'll be talking about this stuff with teachers and they'll say, but you know, it's a classroom and there has to be consequences and rules, et cetera. And I'm like, yes, of course, because kids are partly at school to not just learn the academics, but to learn, you know, social skills and and how to follow rules and how to wait your turn, whatever. And so one of the things I tell teachers is those two aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, You can still express a sense of caring and and value to the student while at the same time enforcing a structure and it's like you said it's it's about you know having a stern voice and still sending safety cues of i i still care about you and you know let's work on this together let's fix this problem together kind of a thing we yeah we were on the same page as i had um teachers and their place on the ladder what safety cues are they are they giving? Are they yelling? Are, are they using a lot of sarcasm that kids aren't understanding because they're down the ladder? Um, and you know, like again, we're in what is this in April? There's two months left, and I don't know if you've already hear, heard teachers saying things like two months left, last stretch, yes. like countdown. That, that's where they're yeah. at. You know, like they're two months, they're they're in flight mode two months ahead of time. Um, and I think that this far into the year, it definitely shows. And I see it in their faces as I walk past them. And as I'm interacting with them, it's a lot different than the beginning of the year where they're, you know, they're getting the classroom ready. They're excited. They're mm-hmm, smiling. Kind of refreshed and you can totally, new school year. Yeah. yeah. There's a big difference. So there not, really is. There really is. Yeah. What's your, do you have a solution for this stuff? Um, I don't have a specific solution other than just building awareness. And so I think, um, I feel like that's a hard one because, you know, we as therapists are kind of trained, you know, all of our education and our experience is about um, learning how to just monitor yourself and and understand that your intention may not come across because of the way you or may or may not come across depending on how you present yourself. So I don't know if there's do do you have a more specific idea of how to. Of course, (laughs) Justin. So like like you're saying monitoring, but self-care and that it's that's so general saying self-care and I don't know how to get more specifics. You really have to kind of know the person and what that works for them. And so I don't know what self-care means for someone. Like for honestly, for me, self-care means doing more work in a way. Cause I don't, yeah. if I just sit around doing nothing, I get, I don't like it. And I feel, um, I don't like feeling unproductive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So for me, self-care is, you know, working in some way. I, that's just, I feel right when I do that. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what that means for a teacher if that's getting a massage or playing with their kids. For me, playing with my family or playing with my kids, 
hanging out with my family is kind of my own self-care, I guess, just for me sort of thing. Yeah. It's connecting with my family. But on my own yeah. time, I don't watch, I don't, I don't watch Netflix. I don't binge watch stuff. I don't um, play video games anymore. I dropped all that. I just do my own thing. So I don't know what self-care means for the teacher. Um, but, you know, getting support and whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. But I think what I, in particular is ask, what I would encourage teachers to ask themselves is, did they have fun today? And I think they have to have fun. They have to leave that day and know that they had fun. And if not, and I know there's tons of things that will get in the way of that, but the way that they come into the class, they set the tone. Mm-hmm. And I really think the yeah. kids kind of, we don't want teachers matching the tone of the kids. We want the kids matching the tone of the teachers. And that tone needs to be safe, social, caring, and of course, um, sticking to structure and consequences. All I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to diminish that whatsoever, but did you have fun today? And what can you do yeah. differently tomorrow? Because tomorrow's coming. And, and do you want to do the same thing over again? Like, I, I don't like living that way. That's I think that's part of why I like to work so much is because I don't want to look back on the previous day and be like, why well, waste of time? I don't, I just don't like that. Yeah. I think you're definitely the exception rather than the rule on that. That's why I said everyone's different. But, <laughs> no, yeah. Well, and going back to the teachers, I was thinking, I don't know. I assume we've all seen those teachers that have just gotten to the end of their rope and it's maybe 1230 on a school day. There's still a couple hours left. And I think it's okay. So this is me talking to the teachers out there. It's okay to give yourself a break. You have permission to not follow the exact schedule exactly how you're supposed to because the law says, and I shouldn't say the law, but you know, if you need a break, take a break. And I don't mean, you know, walk out of the classroom and leave the kids alone, but you know, do a fun activity instead of the planned math lesson or, you know, take an extra 10 minutes outside with the kids or, you know, something. Or one thing that I know is really, it's really effective for me. And I will first recognize that my role in a classroom as a therapist is much different than the teacher's Mm -hmm. role in a classroom. But just being really open and honest with the kids and being really real and saying, you know what, guys, like, I am having a really hard day today. And I wonder if you guys have ever felt that way? Do you guys have any suggestions for what I can do? Just bringing the kids into it because then you're acknowledging your own current state. And at the same time, you are communicating a sense of respect to the kids. I, I, I feel this way. I see that you know I, I feel this way. Let's put it out there and address it directly instead of just yeah. role modeling, you know. It's modeling how to set, you know check in with yourself and be open and honest yeah. about it and make a you know give you it could be an activity like what do you guys do to you know if you're frustrated what do you guys do or or if you mm-hmm. you know whatever yeah I'm, I'm with you yeah yeah so make it fun for you I think I think for me and then the mm-hmm. creativity I, mm-hmm. I really think that teachers are creative people and um, just to kind of let that come through and if if you're not doing that every day. Like what's stopping you from being more creative, you know, or from having more fun with your job? How about other kids? So I'll start off with this. Um, obviously sitting next to you like a bully, but also sitting next to your crush. Yes. Both of these can bring some anxiety. Uh, with a bully, it's more, you know, like am I going to, what's this person going to do to me? But with sitting next to your crush, there's like this constant sort of awareness, like self aware and it's really not not a positive kind of self-awareness. It's really super critical of yourself. Um, you know, what am I doing? That's going to embarrass the heck out of me kind of self-monitoring. So it's a very unsafe send you, send you down the ladder kind of also with, with other kids. And this has to do with seating is 
who's behind me. And for the most part, this is a non-issue. But for kids who are down the ladder or are surviving some sort of trauma or have survived some sort of trauma, not being able to see who's behind them could be a, a pretty big deal. Um, and I, I think that people with a trauma history often prefer to sit in, like in a corner so they can see everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So they're not surprised by anything like all of a sudden. Yeah. And then also some, I know this is some teachers will do this sort of group seating style. You know what I mean? Which is mm-hmm, yeah. great for collaboration and, and whatnot. But now just to be at least be aware that those kids aren't able to avoid each other's eye gaze. Yes. Which can be a big, big, big trigger as we talked about in, as I've talked about in previous episodes that if you can't avoid someone's eye gaze, that's going to send you really in this flight mode of, of wanting to look away, look down and you can't really escape it. And also us introverts, like we just don't want us to next to people. We don't want to work with people. Leave me alone. I'll do my own work. That's true. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to look at anybody. Are you an introvert? You're an introvert, right? I am. I don't know if that's surprising or not. No, it's not. <laughs> Actually, but you you um you seem pretty darn extroverted as well. You come across that way. I think I do, but I think it's something I've worked on over the years. Just yeah. because you know socially, and especially because of what we do, you know, there has to be a certain interactive quality to to my social interactions. Anything you have for? other kids in the classroom? I was thinking of my daughter, actually, who has told me about this stinky kid. Oh. So I think, I don't know that every kid notices this, every student will notice this, but when someone like my daughter, who is very sensitive to to many things like this, you know, the stinky kid is a a real, just, I, I don't know if it's a down the ladder kind of a thing, but she cannot concentrate if she's near this kid she in wants, class. Probably, probably wants to get away. She wants to get away. She sure. doesn't like it. It And even if this kid isn't right directly next to her, but in the same vicinity. So just, you know, I don't know that we can do a lot about that in a classroom setting, but just being aware <laughs> of it at least and knowing right. your kids enough to be like, well, you know, such and such kid has, you know, sent issues and it, things like that. But <laughs> yeah. Maybe that sounds petty now that I say it out loud. But <laughs> These are real issues. I want I want to contribute. Is, you did is good. The thing. All right, so that's other kids. <laughs> um, so I think let's spend some more time on the environment because I'm about to go yes. off on these. Uh, what do you call them? I always forget what they're called. Oh my gosh, we just trimmers. Did this the day. I don't think it's trimmers. Trim banners. I think it's, uh, tri- trim. No, not banners. Board like borders, like the bulletin board edgers. What is what is going on with these things? They are everywhere. They seem to just grow in and of themselves overnight because they're around every single picture in the classroom. <laughs> they're around, they're, they're acting as like the, what do you call in the house, the uh, the trim up high? What do you call that? The crown molding? The uh, crown molding. Uh-huh. Every classroom has these trim things around the entire, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. But I think it's not, your issue with them isn't just... A, a per, let's say a person's issue isn't just with them I really want to know I really want to the- know <laughs> I have to interrupt you I'm going off on this stuff I really have to know why why are they everywhere why does every classroom have these things I really am super curious I'm not a teacher this is an objective viewpoint what is happening it's it's definitely a question for a teacher to answer because I, I am also not a teacher my, my best guess is they provide a like a focal point like a 
a concentration point for, say, you know, a certain type of, you know, assignment that they want to put on It seems as though in some classrooms, there is this compulsion to decorate everything. <laughs> like every inch of the wall must be decorated with. But see, this is what I was going to say before is that it's not, I think your issue isn't so much the decoration per se, but it's the fact that all of these different decorative elements are a whole range of different colors, a whole range of different patterns and, and prints and, and everything. And it's too much visual noise. I think that's that is the crux of it. Yes, you're right. The, that some classrooms are s- visually overstimulating. That yes. when I walk in there, that I'm visually overstimulated. I am overwhelmed by colors. Over overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by <laughs> the full rainbow of colors. Um, text and then some. I text think. sizes. Mm-hmm. Children's art, which is fine, mm-hmm. but it's it's. But when it's surrounded by, uh, you know, bees and sunshine and rainbows and, you know, four leaf clovers and I don't know what else, like all these different prints that they put on the trim. Right. Oh, yeah. So the trim itself. Plus the butcher paper. Yeah. (laughs) Butcher paper. Yeah. Well, because the butcher paper then, so you have a a bee themed trim Uh with, say, yellow butcher paper behind it. And then next to it, you have a, a red butcher paper lined with ladybugs. It's a lot to look at. It's a lot, and that's just the trim, but combine that with there's like signs Everything that they have else, in their classroom yes. for class rules and the the uh, the clip chart mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know behavior charts over here and I mean it's just there's stuff all over the place and I, i'm gonna I'm gonna tell the teacher something they're not aware of. nobody's looking at it <laughs> no no children in your classroom is actually reading all these things they're not I know. They're there for the best I, of worried. purposes, but they're not. <laughs> I'm worried for the teacher who has spent so much time and effort in, in decorating their classroom this way. And, and the sad truth is you're, you're right, though. I agree. I, I don't know. Unless the teacher is specifically using some of this information for lessons, the, the kids aren't looking at it. They're not. It, it's just it's visual noise. It's, yeah. it's extra distraction in the classroom. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add another, another layer to all of that. It's it's one of my own personal peeves that I remember as a kid and as an adult, I'll walk into a classroom and I notice this immediately is when the whiteboards are covered in just there's reminders, there's notes, there's notes to the teacher, there's notes to the to the classroom, the students. I mean, there's, you know, there's lessons because there's lessons left up from the day before or whatever. There's papers that are put on there with magnets. There's all sorts of things. You have the schedule over there over here and the line order over there. And there's just. Every yeah. inch of whiteboard space is covered with something. Mm-hmm. And then the teacher will say to me, because I'll say, hey, you know, how are the kids supposed to know such and such information? Well, it's on the board. Really? <laughs> Where? <laughs> well, can you exactly. point directly at we, it? Because I can't find it in all of that, all of that writing. I can't find it. We want kids to come into class and be able to focus. But then we're mm-hmm. giving them all the things all at once, mm-hmm. visually. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and like, I don't, I can't visually navigate that. I really would encourage teachers, here's the solution that I have in mind for you. Minimize. Use only what's actually necessary to get through the day. Not think, yes. like, I don't want you to put, this is me, a non-teacher telling you, right? <laughs> but I want you to think about what is actually going to be used day to day, not just what might be used, because all that's doing is, is creating visual clutter. And that's not bringing a sense of, like, safety and focus. 
Um, I, so I, those banner, what do you call them? The, the I keep the, the trimmers, trim. trim, whatever. The trim banner thing frames. It's not a banner. A banner the is banner a flag. Tr- trim. Um, I think these are fine when used in moderation as a visual frame. So like there was a classroom that we had walked into recently that was was not full of stuff quite yet. And they had a, a bulletin board with a few things on it. And they had, I think it was like black um, tr- trim. It was some sort of dark color, but it, it, it was a visual frame. Like my eyes settled gently into that um, that board. And it was contained by the frame. And it wasn't distracted by all the stuff around it because there was nothing else around it quite yet. So that is minimized. Like think about when you walk into a spa or a relaxing place, are there trim everywhere? Is there <laughs> pictures of children's artwork and um, leprechauns and <laughs> Martin Luther King Day and the United States map all at once? No, it's it's focused. It, there's a few things at once, more color coordinated than not, and you feel at you feel more at peace. You feel more safe when you look at pictures on Pinterest. For like how I, I, my wife and I were doing this today on what we wanted, how we were trying to decorate our daughter's room, um, a little bit nicer. And it was, you know, it's the stuff we looked at was color coordinated, contained, visually contained. All right, I, I think that's I'm a done. big piece of it. For <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> the visuals for me are a big deal. So I, I, I like to draw them. No, they are for me too. The, yeah, yeah, big deal for me. <laughs> I have a side question for you. It's extremely relevant. I think all of our dear listeners will be interested in this as well. Have you been to a spa, Justin? I have. Fantastic. Multiple times? Is it like a regular Um, thing you do? My wife and I went to... um, (laughs) What'd you say? I didn't mean for this to be like an actual thing. (laughs) Oh, my wife... Well, I'm going to ask the question. Okay. I must. (laughs) I, I feel compelled to answer questions when I'm asked. My wife and I went to... Like we were on a cruise for a honeymoon uh, many moons ago and we did some sort of massage spa thing. It was nice. And then we went to a spa in um, the city right above us. I went there once and it was fine. Why did you ask me that? <laughs> because you seem to have this, this knowledge of spas and you said Just when you walked basics. into a spa. Just the basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. I think my thing with the visual getting back on track here, Justin. Okay. <laughs> my thing with the visual um, environment of the classroom is, um, y- you said it just a minute ago, is is coordination. I'm a fan of of displaying kids' artwork or or classwork because I think I was always so proud when I got to see my stuff up there or when parents walk in, they're like, oh my gosh, which one's yours? But I think just instead of making it 106 different colors, you know, everything under the sun – just coordinate it and have it be, you know, a focal point, like you were saying, Justin, because then then your eye goes to that place. It it settles peacefully on it. It absorbs the information that the teacher wants to highlight and then can move on to the next focal point in the classroom. There you I go. think it's important for the kids. Again, I'm, I'm a full grown adult. I'd like to say I'm high functioning and I walk into a classroom and when there's all this stuff to look at, I, I can feel, I can feel this sense of, um, you know, the going down the ladder. I, I feel just, 
I don't know where to look. I don't know where to settle my eyes. I, I don't know what's happening. And it, it makes it more difficult to concentrate on, on what I'm there for. Yeah, exactly. So minimizing, I think, is a big, big deal. Um, use only what's necessary. And oh, and then also some polyvagal cues of safety are actually pictures of nature, pictures of trails going off into the distance. It just sort of brings this sense of uh, peace. So you, you, if you want to put pictures up, you know, what's stopping you from doing something like that? Water, pictures of water are also polyvagal cues of safety. All right, the next one following visual overstimulation is audio overstimulation. Sounds from, oh, by the way, the gymnasium my kids go to, colors everywhere, <laughs> out of control. So for well, me, and it's for me, the mall, nightmare. right? Like, yeah. The mall has just everything, you know, lights are flashing and uh, colors everywhere, and uh, every store is a different color. I can't. There you go. All right, so audio overstimulation. This includes sounds from the outside. For example, other children, children screaming and running around. Um, and, you know, good or bad, like hopefully not, hopefully not because something bad's happening, but like, you know, at lunchtime or just running past the classroom and they're freaking out. Um, and, you know, honestly, in the place where we work, hearing gunshots outside of school is not uncommon. Um, so that kind of stuff from the outside and pretty much that stuff you don't really have control over, but adds to this. this it's just it's just sound. And the kids that I work with that are dissociative or down the ladder, they don't tune these out. They hear all of them. And what mm-hmm. I find interesting is that when I do the best that I, I, I had a session recently where the kid was hearing things that I was not. And he, he was able to point out the thing above us, mm-hmm. which I hadn't, I, I was listening outside of the room, but he was listening up. And, um, when I really, really, really focused, I heard it. I'm like, Oh wow. So some kids are simply not able to tune out all of these noises and they're going to be hearing things that you're not even aware of. Mm-hmm. And it's something that they can't being down the ladder or what have you, they can't not hear it. Right. And so the more that, you know, a teacher is going on about a lesson, trying to get this very important information into a student's mind, you know, this kid isn't, isn't trying to not listen, but they just can't hear anything other than what is you know, above them, outside, the sirens, the kids screaming, whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's one of the things that I put on here, too, is is things like the, the air conditioning unit or the heating vent. You know, some stuff. There's a coworker of ours that has told me a story about, I think it was a kid on the spectrum, uh, a kid on the aut- autism spectrum. But, yeah, he was he, having all these behavioral issues and they couldn't figure it out. And he would just keep pointing up to the ceiling. Oh. And they didn't realize that he was sitting beneath the the AC vent. And so for him, the noise of the AC vent was just overwhelmingly loud, even though they didn't even notice it. They really are. And sometimes when they kick on, there's this horrible like rattle or a deep like thunk sort it's of scary. noise. It really, yeah, it could yeah. be scary yeah. if you're down the ladder. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So And then also from the inside, yeah, like AC, the heater, um, teacher yelling, teachers that get upset and might be yelling, using a monotone voice or raising their voice into this sort of scary range. That's going to send kids down the ladder if they're not already there. And if um, if they are already there, then send them down fur- further or keep them there. And then some classrooms, the kids are kind of out of control. There's not a whole lot of structure going on. Um, and everyone's sort of down the ladder. Uh, of course, that's going to be a danger cue. Some of these, you know, some subtle ones, some very obvious ones. And a lot of these we don't have control over. 
So I have a couple of ideas. Actually, one main idea that might help out. This is just me brainstorming, putting this out there. But I would love it if teachers would use music as a brain break. And not hip-hop, not heavy metal, not not even like classical um, symphonies. Because those, those really kind of go up and down the ladder. Like they're all over the place. And I think it takes a more a stronger vagal break to be able to tolerate that. But like oldies, like I think I played early on in the podcast in the first couple episodes I played, um, I think it was Benny King. And just something that has like a lot of vocal prosody. Someone who's really singing and there's some safe sounds. And by now, if you've listened to all my episodes, you can kind of tell what that sounds like. But, you know, why not play 30 seconds and have the class check in with how they feel? Definitely, yeah. To tune into a music. And like I would do like a very short, like 30 second sort of thing. And, and do a very safe, very... Uh, prosodic a lot of melody nothing with deep bass nothing that's got like a beat to it um that's going to get them moving but something that's very safe with the voice that's going to kind of carry them into safety and to ask you know 30 seconds how's your body feeling when we listen to this i you know why not do that for uh, 30 seconds every 30 minutes or however whenever you if, if, if you feel like your class needs a little brain break to do something like that to, to really use that that sound as a way to help get them to safety into a safety state on that note what do you think about um like white noise type sounds and and i don't mean just you know white noise or the, i don't know there's brown noise and pink noise and i don't know what else so this is something i do sometimes in my therapy sessions is i'll put on these kind of background sounds it's things like you know crickets chirping in the night or ocean waves or just this like um white noise stuff what do you think about that for the classroom? I think that's okay. I think um, that's okay versus actual white noise, which is the like that static. Mm-hmm. The static, yeah. That static isn't really a safety sound. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. like sounds of nature, I think are a really good idea. The, or if you have like a small, um, wa- there was a teacher who had a small water fountain in their classroom, and the sound of water is really kind sounds of sounds of water. It yeah, really kind of helps. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it in, in, again, in my therapy sessions, this isn't in a classroom full of kids, but in my therapy sessions, when I see, sometimes I'll have a kid who's, who's, you know, kind of comes in really agitated and I'll say, Hey, you know, like I have this app, you know, it's a free app guys, by the way. Uh, but I have this app and you know, it's got all these sounds on it and they're like, what, like what kind of sounds? And I'll start playing a couple and then I, you know, just a few seconds of each. And then when I hit the right one for that kid, they just, <sighs> Like you just see you this this enormous breath and just this like relaxing of their all this tension that they didn't know they were holding, and like okay let's use this one for the next you know couple minutes while we talk and it's it, it's a it's really impactful to see that happen. So one on one that's great, but I think it's there's an even bigger yeah. impact in the classroom. Yeah, if all the kids do a deep breath and slowly let it out. There's something about the group activity that I think is very, very peaceful and it brings a sense of safety. If you can get the entire class in unison to do something like that, I think that that's a great exercise and to hear all the breaths going, you know, slowly out. It's very peaceful. Peter Levine has this thing uh, where you say it, you breathe in and when you breathe out, you say, and you really kind of feel it down in your belly. There's like a, a vibration. So I, I there's a teacher who's doing that with her class. As they do transitions, they'll do a deep breath in and then let it out with a voo. And it's really cool to hear all these kids in unison making that noise. There's something very peaceful about it. 
And I think that when we're making sounds in unison, there's like a, a community aspect to it. Yeah. That is very safe. So that's a way I think to use sound in very short bursts that don't really add on much time to your class that um, are very safe. And if the kids don't want to do it, they don't have to do it. But it, you'll, you'll feel a difference. And it really makes them look inward. It helps them to hear and connect to each other in the moment. And if you do like a deep breath kind of thing, it'll help them uh, regulate their breathing and hopefully come up the ladder some. Combine that with reduced trim all over the place. This is a pretty safe environment. That's that, Yeah. People are going to feel, feel safer and better. The other thing I have um, is how cramped the environment is. Not just visually, but like actually how much space is there in your classroom to move around. So teachers, evaluate your classroom. When you walk in, can you visually see paths that are easy to navigate? Um, does your environment make you take, like if you were to walk through, imagine you're a kid and do their path of walking to their desk or to the to get a book or whatever. Is it an easy path that's pretty straightforward or do they have to do like evasive maneuvers and zig and zag to get through stuff? And I think as we do those little darting maneuvers, we're actually mobilizing more and more. It's not a safe paced walk. Now now we're having to like shift. So that in and of itself might be a cue of, of being more mobilized and being down the ladder a little bit more. Plus, if, if we're zigging and zagging, now there's probably more congestion. We're bumping into people. And all these things sort of add up. It's a bunch of teeny tiny little things. I mean, they seem teeny tiny, you know, isolated. But when you add them all together, a hundred teeny tiny things is a lot, of, a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. Think about there's so teacher I'm working with. She she removed her entire desk from her classroom, which I thought was I didn't I didn't I didn't recommend that to her. This is what I'm talking about, like being creative. Like she and I talked about um, the the ladder stuff to help her understand where her kids are at, and she just took it upon herself. She got creative and she removed her d- entire desk from her classroom and all the junk that was on top of it. I think that's amazing. It was awesome. It opened up this big space in her classroom because she's, she, I guess she realized I don't actually need this. So she uses the this very low, like U-shaped sort of desk that kids can sit around with her and she could do activities there during um, different um, stations. It's, it, she doesn't need her like teacher desk with all the junk on it. Now she's at their level. She opened up a bunch of space in her class and you can really feel the difference in there. Well, yeah, and the message that it sends to the kids of of you are so important to me. I don't need this. Like this is mine. Yeah, you know, it's only for me. Like the purpose of it is to serve my needs, and and by taking it out, it sends the message to the kids that your needs are much greater than mine. This is what I want to do for you. I, that's just a, one of those things. That's a, the nonverbal connection stuff that exactly yeah. I think is so big. It's it's reduced visual clutter. It's reduced clutter on the like literal actual clutter. And it's, yeah, it's totally the signal of like, this is our space. And really, I'm going to meet you where you're at on your level. I'm going to sit down, you know, at a desk that's suitable for all of us. Like, I, th- I thought it was amazing. So I, th- I think the solution here is to minimize the stuff that you have on the floor and really open up the spaces to walk as much as possible. You like that? I think I do. I do. Right. <laughs> I think going off of that, um, one of the things I had on my list was, um, the arrangement of the desks, so not necessarily um, like the seating arrangement, like wh- who is sitting next to who, but the desk arrangement. Are we sitting in rows? Are we sitting in columns? Are we sitting in groups? Are we sitting in a circle? Thinking about what works best, not just for the classroom and the space, but also thinking, I, I think this goes more to like thinking about specific students. So if if a teacher knows that there is a specific student that has a higher 
like a known history of trauma, for example, um, sitting them closer to the door so they feel like they can oh, leave yeah. if they need to, or sitting them furthest away from from the most rowdy kids so that they feel somewhat safer or closest to the teacher, things like this. Like thinking about specific students, this isn't necessary for all of them necessarily because obviously someone has to sit furthest away from the door, what you know, et cetera. But you know, that one kid with the with the definite history of trauma, thinking about what that student needs, you know, maybe a handful of students, and and going off of that. Totally. Oh, you know, I, just, I thought of another one while we were talking uh, for the sounds. I'm mm-hmm. surprised how many kids are okay with like wearing wearing like. Um, headphones to dampen sound. Yeah, like they're just okay with in it. class. Yeah, yeah, like that's an easy or hopefully an easy solution if you have headphones or have the budget for headphones. That kids are totally we- willing to wear these things. They are in class. I've noticed that sometimes kids feel dorky or whatever word they use now um, outside <laughs> of class. So if they had to wear it to the, I've worked with some kids who have you know sensory issues with sound and they don't they have to wear it to the cafeteria and things like that but when they're in the classroom and it's something that's just accepted in the classroom culture yeah, yeah they're totally okay with it i think it's a way to 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 make that very normal and and to say like some of us like as a teacher saying sometimes i get really overwhelmed with sound and i like to wear these things i have some available for you guys if you guys want to wear them um and it's totally okay and it's that's sometimes our bodies react that way when we get overwhelmed or however you want to phrase it but that's it's a very normal thing it's if you want to wear headphones go right ahead like it's not just for that one kid, but it's for anyone who wants to use these. Here they are. Um, on the high school level, if you have the flexibility, some teachers work with smaller classrooms that may have the flexibility or feel like they can uh, let kids use earbuds. Kids that I work with, I'm realizing more and more, they're not just trying to like get a, not do their work, but wearing earbuds and listening to music really does help them to get through the class and actually do their work. So it's really... It's you know I'll, I'll put that out there, and I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of like, well, if, if they do that, then they'll, they'll be messing around, and so it's really like a big subjective sort of decision. But I, hopefully, there's some room, r- wiggle room there for teachers to to play around with that idea. Do us a favor, tell a teacher about this podcast. We want this stuff to be common knowledge, and spread as far and wide as possible across the entire earth across the entire universe even what universal teachers we want everyone listening to this and hope i really hope this has been helpful for teachers and if like again if we're completely off go ahead and email mercedes (laughs) or justin mercedes (laughs) lmft at gmail.com did i get that right yes and i have the power to edit out you suggesting to email me about that I I feel like I have the power to veto your power. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out when it's published. No, email one of us. Um, I'm happy to hear if we got this stuff wrong or if, if you find it helpful or not helpful. And um, I'm sure Mercedes is happy to hear that as well. Absolutely. So I, I would love to hear from teachers um, about any of this stuff. And if you have an idea that we didn't think of, like, please let us know and um, perhaps we'll read it on a future episode. Thank you for listening. And I'm excited to, again, once again, I'm excited to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to your listener. I hope this has brought you some value. We both hope this has brought you some value. If you have a question about anything whatsoever, we'd love to hear it. Possibly address it in a future episode or blog post on my website. Feel free to contact either of us.